Each week, the Bible as Literature podcast brings you in-depth discussion of the biblical text in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. If you value this work, please consider donating as little as 25 cents per episode. That's just $1 per month. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. When the Pharisees complain about the disciples picking and eating grain on the Sabbath, they betray both their ignorance of Torah and their desire to control the consecrated bread of God's instruction to consolidate their power. But God, Matthew teaches, does not need our bread. After all, whatever we offer him already belongs to him. What he desires is knowledge of and obedience to his law, that we are to love our neighbor, showing mercy and compassion on one another. This is the sacrifice that God demands in Hosea, one precluded by the Pharisees' ignorance of his Torah. Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. You're listening to the Bible as literature. This is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 291 of the Bible as Literature podcast. Last week, we talked about the easy and light yoke of the cross as compared to the burden of the flesh, which is the way in which religious authorities, for example, exercise power over the weak. And at the same time, the way the wise philosophers, the intelligent, the ruling class exercise power over the weak. And now at the beginning of chapter 12, we get to see how the Messiah, who is willingly under the authority of his father, handles those who would exercise power against the weak. The way that the human authorities work, they play on your ego. They try to get you to act according to your ego and make you feel good about acting for your ego when in fact they're the ones benefiting and it's their egos they're benefiting from. I mean, this is how the world works. When you work for a company, you're expected to uphold the honor of the company. And when you do, the company makes you feel good. And when you don't, the company makes you feel bad. With the law of the kingdom, you are not going to make God feel good or feel bad. You don't uphold his honor. His honor is everlasting. You are doing your duty because of your desire to be a member of the kingdom, but not so that you win a prize at the end. It's because you're doing the correct thing by following this teaching, which is the wisdom that the world wishes it had, but it cannot have because it's a slave to its own ego. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. So here in verse 1 and 2, you have a perfect example of the abuse of power and the translation of 
God's divine teaching into something worldly, because the divine teaching is given so that those who are hungry can eat. And the purpose of resting on the Sabbath is so that you can hear the teaching that commands you to go out and support the hungry by giving them something to eat. And it's a metaphor that pertains not just to taking care of the poor, but to the responsibility of teaching the law of the Sabbath correctly. And what do the Pharisees do in order to build up their power immediately in verse 2? They complain about the very thing that the law was given to ensure that the poor can eat grain from the field. So there's this betrayal in the twisting of the law and the reframing of it, making it into a heavy yoke because your reference point is not the love of neighbor, which is preached in the Torah, but the might of your own flesh. Right. The basic understanding of what the Torah is there for is this love of neighbor so that anyone can be a member of the kingdom. It's not about human beings deciding who can't be a member of this kingdom. That's one thing that these Pharisees don't recognize. They're not in the position to decide who's in and who's not. And that's why Jesus was saying before, if the people of Sodom saw what you saw, they would have been in sackcloth and ashes. And now here you are keeping score. It doesn't make sense. If you saw what you saw, then you would be repenting. But these Pharisees are the opposite. They're doubling down. And yes, it does say in Torah that you're not allowed to work on the Sabbath day. You aren't allowed to do work. But when you're doing work, you're doing your own work for your own ego. You're doing work for your family so that your children are the ones who benefit. But here it's as if that law exists on its own without the rest of the context. It's about doing God's will. The disciples, by submitting to Jesus and Jesus' teaching, are doing precisely what they're supposed to be doing. The Pharisees are having a tough time understanding the difference between the disciples submitting to Jesus and the disciples acting, quote, correctly in this philosophical framework that they themselves are following that interestingly enough, protects their own egos. Look, the Pharisees are not upset because they care about the law. They're upset because they like telling people what to do. And the fact that in their minds, the disciples are disregarding the Sabbath, they take it personally because they don't pertain to the Father. When a priest takes the transgression of a religious regulation personally, it's because he's playing the part of God. That's the problem. That's why this follows Jesus' declaration of his unique and special and impenetrable relationship with his Father. It's impenetrable because that power is off limits. That is ultimately the most important boundary in Scripture. Because once the scribes and the Pharisees or the average American Christian can make the claim that they have such a relationship with God the Father, then they can become self-referential. Our reference is the law of the Father, which is the love of neighbor. But he said to them, have you not read what David did when he became hungry, he and his companions, how he entered the house of God, and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those with him, but for the priests alone? In other words, don't you get it? In the very text you're quoting, we are taught that the most sacred thing 
is not the consecrated bread, but the well-being of those who are hungry. What is the purpose of the consecrated bread? Do you think God needs your offering in Hosea? What is the purpose of the consecrated bread? It's to feed the people with God's instruction. And I want to keep emphasizing this point, that to feed people with the instruction is commensurate with feeding the hungry because the instruction is to take care of the needy neighbor. The work that is forbidden on the Sabbath is the work that builds up the ego, the work that builds up the self. Here, what I find interesting is that the term that Jesus uses to accuse the Pharisees is, have you not read? The Pharisees don't understand the context. They know the law, but they don't understand how it fits with the greater whole. They don't understand what happened with David and what David's people did. They don't understand that this was allowed precisely because of what you said, Father. The food is there as food, that it's not there for God. The consecration of this bread isn't any different than any of the food that's consecrated for the people. Now, there's a particular ritual around this bread, but why is that ritual there? So that you continue to submit to God. You continue to turn your ego over to God, your will over to God. And that's been the point for three chapters now. It's not for us to follow our own ego. It's about giving up the ego. Human beings won't give up their ego. They won't stop following their own biology. And here are the Pharisees refusing to give up their egos. Jesus says, if you only read in the Bible, <laughs> if you only read in the Bible what David did, then you would understand that there's even scriptural precedent for what's happening. This was not supposed to happen according to the Bible that you're quoting, yet it happened within the Bible that you're quoting. Okay, how do you reconcile those things? So what Jesus accuses the Pharisees of is not just misunderstanding the Bible. It's not having read the Bible, not even knowing its contents. I think this is a very good critique of the most holy, so to speak, Christians among us who are very quick to decide which side of the culture wars they want to fall on, but they're very slow to pick up a Bible and start reading. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. Another example, Richard, of him citing the very text they claim to understand and are abusing in support of their own importance and their own institutional authority of how in the story, through the breaking of the Sabbath, they were declared innocent, which means that this understanding of the law wasn't created by the writers of the New Testament. It's part of the scriptural narrative. And then when he warns them that something greater than the temple is here, he is warning them that the authority, the very teaching that sanctifies whatever happens in the temple or outside of the temple, that that teaching that is handed down through that relationship between Jesus and the Father, that teaching is present. That power is at work. And Jesus's reference is the will of his Father, which is the love of neighbor, 
which is what Paul calls the law of Christ. And the way that he teaches this law, it's interesting because he uses Scripture against them. First, he brought up an example that contradicted them from Scripture about David. Now he's bringing up another exception. Well, what about the priests? If the priest serving in the temple is grounds enough to break this law, is grounds enough for this exception, how much more so if you're serving something that's even more important, that's even greater than the temple? If priests can break this just because they're serving in the temple, my disciples who are serving the Father even more so are allowed to break this law if needed, and it's not unto their condemnation. Your ego and your desire to push this law in every single circumstance you think goes against Scripture itself. You have proven that you follow your ego rather than Scripture. If this is the case, then there's no reason to listen to you. This is the heavy yoke Jesus says he's going to remove from you. The light yoke that he gives is to simply follow God's teaching and just keep moving and keep teaching. The temple to which he's referring is the temple that is present wherever the law of the kingdom is preached, which is the love of neighbor. It's a temple that's portable. You don't need the temple of stone. He's explaining to them that because their reference is the temple of stone, they end up with a teaching that builds up stone and flesh, but not the heavenly kingdom and not the tent of meeting. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. This passage, Richard, from Hosea, which is a text you refer to often, manifests what God truly desires, which isn't incense and offerings, but the care for the other. Because the Son of Man is not the Lord of a temple. He's not the Lord of the flesh. He's the Lord of the instruction of the Sabbath, which in Genesis is rest unto instruction for the purpose of carrying out the instruction for the remainder of the week. It's not rest unto the glory of the scribes and the Pharisees, or the might or the importance of the temple. It's rest unto instruction, so that the the namis of the teaching can be carried to all the cities of the earth. Jesus has proven to the Pharisees that they do not follow the law of God. God says, I do not desire sacrifice. And here the Pharisees want to proclaim and teach this absolute adherence to one particular law, one particular precept. God explicitly says that's not the point, but only mercy. Jesus quotes the desire for mercy precisely to those who are condemning, who set themselves up as judges. So it's time for the Pharisees to put on their sackcloth and ashes and repent of their desire to reject through their actions the law that they claim to be teaching. Thanks very much, Dr. Benton. Thank you, Father. You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.